Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. told a humorous story during the last days of his administration. It was about a man named Alexander Dumas. It seems that Dumas and a friend had a severe, severe argument. And the matter got so out of hand that one challenged the other to a duel, literally. But both Dumas and his friend were superb marksmen, fearing that both men might fall in such a duel because neither one would miss the mark. They resolved to draw straws instead. And whoever drew the shorter straw would then pledge himself to shoot himself. To get himself out of the picture. Alexander Dumas was the unlucky one. He drew the short straw. And so with a heavy sigh, he picked up his pistol, trudged into the library and closed the door, leaving a company of friends who had gathered to witness the non-duel outside. In a few moments, a solitary shot was fired in the library and all the curious people pressed into the library and there they found Dumas standing with his pistol still smoking. An amazing thing just happened, said Dumas. I missed. I am amazed. I would miss too. I am amazed how many Christians have been in the church all their lives and still have missed the gospel of what it's all about. So many folks still live in the Old Testament bound by legalisms, restricted by the thou shalt nots in life instead of being empowered by the thou shouts of life. Some are experts at the Ten Commandments but absolute failures at the eleventh and most important commandment of all. When Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Lucy stands with her arms folded and the resolute expression on her face while Charlie Brown pleads, Lucy, You must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make a world a better place in which to live. And Lucy whirls around angrily, causing Charlie Brown to do a backwards flip and scream. She looks at him and says solemnly, Look, blockhead, the world I love, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) Anybody feel that way? Come on. Come on, a new commandment I give you. It's an amazing thing that one day on a mental institution wall, one of the greatest songs that's ever been written was found written there by someone that somebody said did not have it all together. The words were simply this, if we would think the ocean could feel and were the sky of parchment made, where every stalk on earth was a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scrolls contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, 
How rich, how pure. How measureless. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. I'm talking about somebody that understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, our love of God is skewed because of our lack of love that we have for one another. And we judge God's love for us by how we respond to other people because our love is conditional. But I'm talking about a God today whose love is not conditional. Our love of God is skewed because of the lack of love to our own selves. Some can do no right, and so they live total, their total life in inferiority. And then there are a few people who can do no wrong, and they live in what we call a superiority. But I'm here to declare to you, God's love cannot be equated with our love. Because our love has bounds and meets, and our love does not reach as far as God's love does. But I'm here to declare to everybody in this house, it does not matter how you love somebody or how you appreciate your own self. Do not put God in the restriction that you have on people yourself because the God I'm talking about today loves you boundlessly. He loves you through all eternity. He loves you unconditionally. There is not anything that he won't do to reach to you and where you are to find you and to embrace you and to make you one of his own. That's why I love to talk about him. That's why we celebrate Jesus in this house because nobody can love you like he can. It's an awesome thing. Psalms chapter 36, verse 5 and 6 in the message version. I love this. Watch how, watch how Peterson said it. He said, God's love is meteoric, meteoric. His loyalty is astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet his, in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. I'm going to tell you, God's love is big. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, the New King James says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and what's this and how deep the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 in the message. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Then the Bible says, love like that. 1 John 3 and 1 said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I want you to place your hand on your chest right now and say, I am a child of God. I may not be where I want to be, where I ought to be, where I should be. But it does not stop me from being a child of God. I love him because he first loved me. Amen. Clap your hands to that right now. You got to get it in your heart. You got to get it in your heart. See, I have found that knowing it in our heads doesn't always translate to holding it in our hearts. 
leave that up there. I have found that knowing it in our heads doesn't always translate to holding it in our hearts. Although a person is unaware of God's love, it does not change God's love. And when you don't feel his love, it does not lessen his love. The reality is that there's often a distance of God's love, but it's not on God's part. It's on our part. It's like the man and the woman that had been married 30 years, and she said to him, you know, when we first started dating, I used to sit real close to you. And he said, yeah, and I was driving then, and I'm driving now. Who's moved? <laughs> I'm here to tell you, if God's driving your car, driving your life, you don't need to sit on the other side of the car. You need to hover up real close to the Messiah and say, I love you because I know you love me. We don't need to move away from the presence of God, even though the reality is that there's often a distance of God's love, but it's not on God's part, it's on ours. But even though God's great love is demonstrated on the cross, the truth is we don't often feel the love of God. And this lack of feeling God's love is more about us than it is about Him because we drastically underestimate God's love for us. I want to tell you today three of the most common reasons we underestimate how he feels about us and it's very simple stuff number one it's very common for us to feel common to God say it with me it's very common to us to feel common to God see there's almost seven billion people on planet earth now how could let's ask this question how could I feel special to God how could God be possibly jealous for me how could that happen how could I feel special to him? How could he feel jealous for me? There is a beautiful story found in Luke chapter 15, and we won't go there, but I'll just tell it to you. Jesus tells three parables of the same theme. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. He tells a story about a lost son. And all three of those stories, you've got to get this, and all three of those stories, and a sheep and a coin and a son, all three of those stories... Those people give everything they have to find. The shepherd leaves 99 in the wilderness to go find that one lost sheep. You think it doesn't matter? A woman sweeps the whole house to find one lost coin. And a prodigal gets up out of a hog pen and starts walking home. And a father meets him in the field running. Do you think it does not matter? I'm here to tell you, if God will send a shepherd after a lost sheep, if God will let a woman sweep a house for a lost coin, and if a father will run off the back porch to greet a lost son, does it show you that he's saying, I care about everybody that comes into this world. You are special to me, and I am jealous for you. There is a God that loves us that much. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Like an attorney making his case, Jesus is driving home his message to every individual, that every individual, that every single person is a VIP to God. You're a very important person. But here's our problem. This is why we feel common. We feel common because we look at others with disdain. And because we look at others with disdain, we feel separated from God. Peter goes up on top of a rooftop in Acts chapter 10. 
there's a man having a prayer meeting down at a place called Cornelius' house who was a Gentile. And Peter, being a Jew, not having anything to do with the Gentiles because he looked through the wrong kind of eyes at that Gentile. But when he's on this roof, God allows a sheet to come down, not once, not twice, but three times. And it's filled with all unclean beasts and all unclean animals. And he says, rise, Peter, I want you to slay and eat. And Pete says, no, Lord, I don't eat that that is common and unclean. And the sheet comes down the second time, the same message, the same reply. The third time, same message, same reply. But then God says, I'm going to have the last word. He said, Peter, what I have cleansed, what I have cleansed, what I have cleansed, don't you ever look at it as clean, unclean or uncommon. I'm here to declare to you right now, you've got to get the eyes of the Lord in your life. You've got to start seeing as God sees people because there's nobody that walked in this church from the smallest vagrant to the richest person. God sees everybody. God loves everybody. Nobody's common. He's jealous for everybody. He loves everybody. What he has cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. Say amen to that. It's easy to feel common to God. The second thing I want to tell you, how easy it is to feel alone. It's the exact opposite feeling of feeling common. Feel alone. Anybody ever felt alone? Anybody ever felt alone? So happy to have Ann Reed in church today. Let's give Sister Ann a great hand. Having her back in church is an awesome thing. I will go on record that when people get sick and when people get down for long periods of time, many times they feel alone. And I will declare to you that many times I have felt alone in my life. But God Almighty has always come to my rescue. God does not want anybody here feeling by yourself. Aloneness is one of the most horrible feelings a person could ever feel. And that's one of the reasons why you need a church like Christian Life Church. That's one of the reasons you need fellowship. You need to make sure you have fellowship every Sunday. You mean to make sure you come to fellowship on Wednesday night because there's nothing like it. I think everybody needs it. I think everybody needs a part of this, what we're doing here right now. Because I think 90 minutes can change your whole mindset. It can change your whole heart set because you feel like, hey, there's somebody here battling the same battles I'm battling. There's people here fighting the same fight that I'm fighting. There's folks here going through the same turmoil that I'm going through. Yes, we are. And you know what? We lift our hands just like you do. We rejoice just like you do because we know that God will never leave us alone. We understand that he is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? Even though there are 7 billion people almost in the world today, we feel like we're all alone. People say, it's my problem, Pastor. It's my battle. It's my issue to sort out. And we, we try to take it to God sometime. We feel like the ceiling's brass and we can't get through. And I'm preaching to somebody right now. And we are moving in a direction away from God instead of to God because we have these problems, we have these battles, we have these issues. And we can't sort them out and we take them to God. And because God doesn't just answer right then, because he doesn't come on the scene right then, does not mean he has not heard you right then. And we talked about circle making back in the month of January. You've got to still be making those circles. But God says, I see where you are at, and I'm actively working on your behalf right now. 
See, I don't care who you are. You're never out of God's sight. You're never away from where he's at. You're never away from who he is. You're right there beside him. Matthew chapter 10 says it this way. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. The Bible said he sees the lily of the field. Don't you know he knows where we are? I want you to be encouraged today. Lift up your hand and say, I am not alone. Come on, say it. I am not alone. I may not have friends in this world. Don't say that. I may not have friends in this world. I may not have family in this world. But I've got a God who's for me. I've got a God who's for me that knows what it is to be by himself. And he knows what it is for you to feel by yourself. But he'll never leave you alone. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Hebrew boys were thrown in a fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. And they said, O king, we be careful to answer thee. Our God is able. But if he does not bring us out of that fire, we still will not bow our knee. We do feel kind of alone over here because we're not in our own country. We're not among our own. We're among other people, but we do believe that God is able. They threw them in that fiery furnace. And even though they didn't see what was dancing around in the fire with them, the king, who was an unbeliever, saw what was in the fire with them. He said, did we not cast three in that fire? Did we not throw three in that fire? Lo, I see one the like like the son of God walking around in the midst of the furnace he saw somebody walking with him I don't care how hot it gets in your life I don't care how lonely it gets in your life I don't care how dreadful it gets in your life you may not see it walking beside you but the world will see somebody walking beside you the unbeliever will see somebody how do you do it how do you take this well I don't know I just know that God's with me yeah because I see somebody walking beside you don't you ever believe because you can't see does not mean he's not there he is there for you in your furnace he's there for you in your den of lions he's there for you on your valleys he's there for you in the path that you think you can't make it in There's a place called Death Valley. Some people have visited that and never died. There's also a place known as Dante's View in Death Valley. And from this location, you can look down to the lowest spot in the United States. It's a depression in the earth 200 feet below sea level called Blackwater. But from Dante's View, you can also look up to the highest peak in the United States, Mount Whitney rising in height to 14,500 feet. In one direction, you move to the lowest spot in the United States. In the other, you move to the highest. From Dante's view, only the traveler can decide which direction he or she will take. Some of you are in Dante's view today. Some of you are standing at that place today, and you're saying, am I going to go to Death Valley? And I'm going, am I going down here to Blackwater? Am I going to go 200 feet below sea level? Or do I, do I choose to ascend Mount Whitney? Do I choose to go 14,500 feet up? I declare to you, don't ever go down with God. 
Always go up with God. Start climbing the mountain. Start believing that God will help you in every situation. Start believing that God is for you in every trial that you're in because he will never, 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 never leave you alone. He's for you. He is for you. He is for you. Moses was exiled for murder, defending God's name. 40 years in the desert, and yet God said, I am with you. I am with you. Some are exiled from family today. Some are exiled from old friends today. Some are exiled from your regular, normal life you used to live. But it doesn't matter if you're living an exiled life. God is with you because he loves you. In fact, the Bible said God will never forget us or forsake us regardless of what we may do. Here's a scripture from the word. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. When I found that during the crisis of my life, I rejoiced. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. The scripture in the King James says, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot disown himself. The one thing, the one who loves us most can do anything except love you more. He can't love you any more than he already loves you. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. I love the way one of the early church fathers put it. He said, I fled from God and God came with me. I like what David said. David said, if I take the wings of morning and fly away, you are there. Where can I go to escape your presence? If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There's something I want to tell you about this God. He doesn't operate like finite people. He's an infinite God. And he can go where you think he cannot go. And he can be where you think he cannot be. Because he's a God that's always there. He's a God that will always be with you. He's a God that will always lift your burden. Now here's what I'm telling you. Don't start telling me that God don't love you. He loves you. People may not love you. You may not love people. But God Almighty loves you today. He loves you. He loves you. God cannot betray his own character. He cannot unlove you if he loves you. He cannot be unholy if he is holy. Paul said, this is the hope on which my life is built. If I am faithless, God will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. And so today, I wrap my arms around that God because everybody needs to be reminded I don't care how alone you feel. You're not alone. God is with you today. The third thing, and I close. The third thing I want to tell you is this. How easy it is to feel unlovable because of failure and sin. Amen. Anybody mess up the last few days? Don't raise your hand. I'm not looking. Anybody have a stumble? Anybody fall down? Anybody hurting today? See, love that people require of you is performance-based. 
except maybe that of a parent to their kids. Because we love our kids unconditionally. Well, I just said a mouthful. Some of you got it, didn't you? Our Father loves us unconditionally. We know God's high standards. We know his holiness. Which then causes us to feel like that we can't measure up. So we reject his love from a place of feeling unlovable because we flop and we goof and we sin. Many times I come in from work or if I've moved furniture, if I've helped mama or if I've done some stuff in the yard or something, I come in and playing golf in the summer. And I'm sweaty. I'm sweaty. But it's amazing to me that Patty loves to hug me. She loves to hug me when I'm ugly. say babe let me go shower kids don't look I just put some stink on mama but I discovered a long time ago that you can't get too ugly for God you can't get too stinky pardon the expression for God Can you imagine that prodigal son? Imagine him fresh from a pig pen, running to his dad, or coming home and his dad running to him and hugging him, hugging pig pen, stink. Can you imagine that? And here's the beautiful part. The beautiful part said if a son rebels in the book of Deuteronomy, you have to stone him. And his dad runs out there and falls on him and kisses him on the neck and covers him up simply saying if you're going to stone anybody you're going to stone me because I'm going to protect this boy and then he turns around and he says let's go home son and the boy said father I've sinned against heaven I've sinned before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father didn't even give him the opportunity to finish his carefully rehearsed speech he said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. The robe was a symbol of honor. you got to get this now. Put a ring on his hand. The ring was a symbol of authority. Put shoes on his feet. Slaves were barefoot. Sons wore shoes. Then he said, kill the fatted calf. Now I want to tell you about that fatted calf. I'm going to tell you something that I've received from the Lord this week about that fatted calf. In the ancient world, there was no possibility of preserving meat. You're going to kill a fatted calf for one kid? See, when guests came, animals were killed that could be eaten by the guest, and they all had to be digested and ingested. Thus, if one family came, it would be appropriate in those days to kill a chicken or perhaps a pigeon. If two families came, it might be appropriate to kill a duck or a goose. If more people came, it would be appropriate to kill a lamb or a goat. The killing of a fatted calf was done only if the entire village was invited. What the father was saying is, son, not only am I happy to have you home, I'm going to kill a fatted calf. 
I'm going to invite the whole village to come and welcome you home. Somebody said, I don't understand that kind of love. I don't either. But that's why I preach about it today. Because everybody needs to know that kind of love. Come on, village. Come on, Austin. Come on, there's somebody repenting today. Come on. Come on, somebody's coming to home today from the big bit of life. Come on. Come on. Please be seated for just a moment. There's even further significance in this killing of the fatted calf that I got to share with you. Because the actual slaughter of the animal would take place in front of the doorway, right at the front door of the house. This wasn't done in the backyard. This wasn't done down in the lower valley and brought up to the house. The slaughter of the fatted calf was done at the doorway. So when guests would step across the blood of the animal that had been slain, it was a sign that the past was left behind, that they had stepped across a bloodline of a new covenant and a new relationship between the host and the guest. And as the son then stepped over the blood of the animal that had been slain, it was a sign of his father's total acceptance and complete forgiveness of this boy. The father welcomed him back unconditionally. Can I preach to you a little bit? Can I say something to you right now? I don't care how bad you've messed up this week. It doesn't matter how bad you flopped this week. We've got a fatted calf killed at the front gate right now. The front door was a fatted calf today because we want everybody to have a new dimension and a new feeling about God and the love of God he has for you. But if you have messed up, if you have stumbled, if you need Jesus today, you need to have a new relationship with the Father. He's going to welcome you unconditionally. He's going to say, come on in my house. There's going to be a dance here in a little while. There's going to be music in a little while because the Father loves you that much. So we lose out on the lesson 101 of Christianity. God really is crazy about me. He really does love me. He has abandoned all his hesitations, all his apprehensions. He absolutely embarrasses himself to love us. Because that's what he did on the cross when he was there with just a loincloth stretched out between heaven and earth. Saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. God will embarrass himself for you. He'll absolutely embarrass himself for you. When you start walking to this altar today because of something you want to repent over, something you need in your life, he'll come running to you. He'll fall on you. He'll not let the devil stone you. He'll bring you home, put a robe on your back, a ring on your finger. He'll put shoes on your feet because you don't belong out there. You belong in here. That's the joy. That's the joy. That's the joy of being forgiven. Stand to your feet just a moment. Stand to your feet.
a preschool teacher who faced burnout one day. She was a committed teacher and she loved disadvantaged children. She despaired over children who seemed to be lost and couldn't find their way and limited and neglected kids at home. But in her growing frustration, she vacillated between the feeling of something wrong with her or something wrong with this current crop of preschoolers because they just didn't respond to her like they used to, nor did she respond to them. Then one day her mother died. Her mom died. It was necessary for her to take a week off and leave her teaching duties to attend her mom's funeral. She was very close to her mother. Following the funeral, she needed time be alone and deal with her feelings so her frustration at the preschool seemed like an even heavier burden at this time in her life so after a weekend of aimless shopping puttering in the garden watching some TV she realized she had to return to her classroom and so she returned she felt more like a soldier than a teacher going to battle that day first day back was about what she expected her hurt despair produced resentment for those kids she kept it hidden she went through the paces like a competent professional that she was and she smiled at the right times was admirably patient considering the environment of her raw feelings but then it happened then it happened it always will she had come around a corner and discovered Rachel Rachel her problem child picking the last chrysanthemum from the pot in the hall Rachel by the way was the most distant disruptive child in the whole class in her stern trembling voice the teacher demanded Rachel what are you doing and Rachel handed out some flowers to her. She said, Mrs. Terrell, I'm giving you some flowers that I've already picked for you. She said, Mrs. Terrell, you used to be like a mother. Would these flowers that I gave you today help you be a mother again? I know you're fussed in your mind, but would you like some flowers? And Mrs. Terrell thought, fussed in my mind? You mean it shows? You mean a five-year-old can pick up the fact that I am exhausted that I'm burnt out Rachel she said what's a mom like and Rachel said a mother is like you used to be Mrs. Terrell a mother likes being with her, her kids and you used to like being with us but now you don't and Mrs. Terrell said well Rachel I, I, I just my mother just passed away and Rachel meekly interrupted and said you mean your mom died she said yes Rachel my mom died and Rachel looked at her and said Mrs. Terrell, did she live until she died? And Mrs. Terrell thought, what kind of question is that? She said, of course, honey, all people live until they die. She said, oh, no, they don't, Mrs. Terrell. Oh, no, they don't. Some people seem to die while they're still walking around. They stopped being what they used to be, Mrs. Terrell. And then she looked up at her and said, Mrs. Terrell, don't die just because your mother did. Be alive while you are still alive. The lesson from a five-year-old closes this message today. I don't want people walking in this church dead to their feelings and dead to their life. I want you to be alive in Christ. I want you to be alive with Him. Some people just look at a calendar and say, oh, no, another day when you ought to be looking at your calendar and say, thank God, another day. I want you to be alive in Christ. I want you to be alive in Him today. I really, really do.
I want you to be alive in the Lord. I want you to be alive. I want you to be alive in God. I want you to be alive, not just meeting the day, not just facing the day. I want you to be alive in the day. Just be alive. Just be alive. So Tommy and Monica Hill walk in today. Three years he's been battling cancer. Cancer has emaciated him some, but he has that big old smile on his face. He said, Pastor, something I'm more happy about than whipping cancer at this point is I've been sober a year and a half. I had had a drink in a year and a half. The gleam in his eye, the joy in his heart, the presence that he has showed. God wants us to be alive today. And God's allowed a pastor to pick some flowers for you and say, hey, you need to get back to real living because life is about being alive. It's not walking around dead. It's being alive. It's being alive. It's being alive. It's like my two-year-old grandson when he comes in our house. He goes running for a particular thing in the family room. It's a golf club, a plastic golf club for crying out loud. Hi, Bo. Hi, Sweet Pea. And he's headed to the golf course. He grabs that club and he says, Bo, I need to go to the golf course today. And he'll run and hit the ball. Bo, let's go outside. And I go outside and tee it up for him. And he hits it over the fence. And I've got to climb the fence and get the ball. Thank God they're plastic. But it's more, more, more. Bo, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And I look at him and I say, my God, life, life life and I looked up the other day to the heavens and I said God do I inspire you like he inspires me he's so alive to life he's so alive to life he's not just existing he's not just functioning he's alive I want to be alive today. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Jesus, love me. I'm not common. I'm not by myself. I don't care how much I have sinned. He will forgive me. He wants me to be alive today. He wants me to be alive. Come on, let's magnify him right now. Let's magnify him right now. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment. Say, I am not common. Say it, I am not common. I am not alone. I know I mess up. I make mistakes. I stumble. Sometimes I fall. But he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Oh. <laughs> he loves me. me. He loves me. He loves me. 
He loves you. He loves this church. He wants you to live in that love, not just exist in your thoughts. Amen. Anybody need a refresher course in the Lord today? Anybody? need salvation today, I want you to walk this aisle right now. Anybody need healing in your hurt today, I want you to walk this aisle right now. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.